0: You may be seated. One question. Have you worshiped yet? We come this morning for a couple of things to sit under the proclamation of the word and to worship. Have you worshiped? I hope so. I was particularly touched, Jay, by the worship service this morning for a number of reasons. Part of it is just so good to be back. I used to work here, by the way. <laughs> but also because you're lifting him, we need him. A, a verse came to mind Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race. Marked out for us. I hope you've worshipped. And I hope together we can get into the Word. By the way, was that Caleb? Caleb Morpher, was that you up here this morning? You have filled out. You look so much more mature. <laughs> the rest of the worship team's filled out, too. <laughs> Betsy? Um, you want to just take that for me? Thank you very much. It's my granddaughter. She's sitting with me. She might as well work, right? <laughs> I I want to give you a special personal invitation to be here next week. You'll find a bulletin insert in your bulletin. Um, Daniel Chihatsky. That's how you say it. Chihatsky. Let's practice. Chihatsky. Now you're Polish. My favorite sentence in Polish is bardzo suave, Which means my Polish is very weak I'll teach you that one too You can impress him really well when he gets here But this guy has a strong testimony He's the president of the seminary in Bidgos And uh, they're looking at ways to innovate And change the way they're giving people education And, and uh, just pray for him while he's here We're going to be visiting a lot of Uh, graduate schools and undergraduate schools and he's looking at their distance ed program and and we'll be introducing him to new people that he hasn't met before and hopefully uh, this will garner prayer support as well as perhaps even some financial support for what God is doing in Poland. I was uh, in my study last night looking over my message and praying and I was Gripped with a sense of panic that I could not do this passage justice. I, I don't know that I will. I've done my homework, but we need to pray that God will break through to each of our hearts this morning and give us what He wants us to have from this passage. It's a great passage of Scripture, and I don't want to do it a, a disservice. I'd like to read it, I'd like for you to follow. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 28. Listen carefully. Follow along. I'll be reading from the NIV. John chapter 14, verse 15 to 28. If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. May God add his blessing not only to the reading of his word, but to our deliberation upon the word this morning. Dr. S.I. McMillan. Wrote a book years ago titled "None of These Diseases." Some of you have read it. It's an old book, but it's a good book and it's a good read. I'd recommend it. You can still get a hold of it. It Might be in the library. In the book, he tells one story about a young woman who wanted to go to college, but as she filled out the questionnaire in terms of uh, doing all the application work for the for this college, she read a question that set her heart into to, to despair. She had to answer the question: "Are you a leader?" She knew she wasn't. She was facing a decision. Do I just say yes because that's what they want to hear? Or am I going to be honest? And she decided the latter. I'll be honest. So she wrote down on her paper, no, I'm not a leader. She was a conscientious young woman. She returned the application, figuring, well, I'll never hear from them again or I'll get a letter of rejection. She was prepared for the worst. To her surprise, a few weeks later, she received this letter from the college Dear applicant, a study of the application forms revealed that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We're accepting you because we feel it is imperative they have at least one follower. Will Rogers put it this way, I think you could substitute leaders with the word heroes, we can't be all heroes because someone has to sit on the curb and clap as they go by. It's the way it is, isn't it? The passage before us today is a unique combination, dealing with the presence of God and the reality of followership. That's what we are. Let's get the terms straight. I'll give you the three points up front, and then we'll go back and unpack a little bit. The title of the message is "The Wonder of His Presence," because this is a passage about the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. But the main theme, one of the main themes, is the fact that uh, uh, the the whole fact of this this whole issue of followership. What about the follower? Well, the follower is a lover. The follower follows out of love, Christ. The follower receives a helper. And that's the main thrust of the message. We'll be spending most of our time there. And the follower receives a presence. Let's go back and start over. The follower is a lover. We've got to establish some The characters in the passage, when Jesus is speaking, he talks about the Father, that's God. He talks about the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And you'll find peppered throughout this text, the little personal pronoun, you. That's us. We're followers. Now, just a few questions about following. I think it's perfectly in order that we ask these questions. Why do followers follow? There are a lot of people who claim to follow. Some follow out of, uh, because it's a fad. I well remember walking through a park in Oahu, in Hawaii, one time. I was youth pastor at a church in Fresno, California, and spent a month in Oahu uh, doing ministry back during Vietnam, uh, the, the, the Vietnam crisis or war. Uh, a lot of guys would come to Hawaii for their R&R, and we'd, we went there to minister with them, to them. We were there for, as I say, a month. It was tough duty, but somebody had to do it. I ran into this girl. She was a hippie, a lot of hippies in those days. And um, she was sitting on the grass, smoking, and started to talk to her. And she said, oh, yeah, she said, I started to follow Jesus and all that stuff. She didn't say stuff. I started to follow Jesus, but I'm beyond that now. It was a fad. She got caught up in the Jesus movement, the Jesus people movement. But it was just a fad. It came and it went. And so did Jesus. came and went from her life, so far as I know. Some people follow because it's uh, peer pressure. All my friends are following, quotes around following. So I guess I better follow some people follow because they have an ulterior motive politician wants to meet people he wants, to people, wants people to think he's on their side he wants them to know that he too is a believer in our church in Fresno one time it was a pretty big church one Sunday morning a, an aspiring politician showed up in the service during campaign time and the pastor pointed him out he said I see so and so is with us today nice to have you here I noticed you've never been here before, but you've been running for office, so. <laughs> I said, oh, wow. But that's the way it is. Some people follow because they want to sell cars or, or uh, write people up an insurance policy. So it looks good, you know, to be a part of a church. No, no uh, not condemning anybody who sells insurance or sells cars here. But you, I think you get the point. Ulterior motives. Jesus is interested in those who follow out of love. They're the only true followers. Now, we're not talking about them being perfect. We may make a lot of mistakes, but the issue is which, in which way are we going? Are we following him out of a response, his love for us? Do we love him because he loves us and we want to be his followers? Or do we have ulterior motives? How do you know if a follower loves him? Well, We don't have to wonder for long. Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Now, we know we won't keep them perfectly. That's the reason we're admonished so many times in Scripture to lay aside those things that so easily entangle us. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We can confess our sin and be forgiven of our sin. Which direction are you headed? Are you really sincere in your proclamation? Is your intention to keep his commands. It's my intention to keep his commands. It's an attitude. But it's an attitude which can be proven. Compare verse 15, if you will, with verse 24, the first part of it. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. There's put in the negative. Two very straightforward assertions. Genuine love for Christ will manifest itself with a profession and with a lifestyle of compliance. There will be mistakes, but still, it will manifest itself with a profession and a lifestyle of compliance. Many do the first, fewer do the latter, but only the latter are true followers. It's an attitude which calls for a response. Look at verse 21 and 23. Compare those. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The Father's not indifferent to the attitude that men take toward the Son. The Father and the Son will in turn respond to the responders. You notice the response here? Verse 21, the latter part. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23, the latter part. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is good news. This passage is an embroidery project. The presence of God, the followership of mankind. They meet, they get together, they're intertwined. This is very good news, that he's going to dwell with us who follow. He's not going to leave us alone. He loves us, and he wants us to love him. In fact, that's why we love him. We love him because he first loved us. But you know, that's not all the news. As I said, this passage is just loaded, and when I'm done this morning, I will have just scratched the surface on what's here. The thrust of the passage is about the Holy Spirit. This is the first of an important series of references to him in the Gospel of John. When you look at the Gospel of John, you can see how it's laid out. And in verse 14, 15, and 16, there's a lot to be said about the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me just read a few verses. Verse 26. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now mark that down because this is incredibly important. 15.26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. How do we know about Jesus? Thank God for the Holy Spirit bringing him to our attention. And then John chapter 16, starting with verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that we will, he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You've got to see beyond the fact that he will act In a follower's life, we've got to see precisely how he will act, be he the Holy Spirit in a follower's life. So that brings us to point number two. We're talking about the wonder of his presence, folks. We're talking about what it means to be a follower. A follower is a lover, and a follower, catch this, a follower receives a helper. Verse 16 I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He lives with you and will be in you. The word for advocate, at least in my translation, it's, tra- it's interpreted ad, uh, advocate. The word is paraclete That's the Greek word. And it's been variously translated in different translations. Helper, comforter, A paraclete is one who comes alongside in order to help. And you notice he is another advocate. He is another helper. This implies two things. He's not the first. Who was the first? Well, if you read 1 John 2, 1, we find out that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the helper. He was called alongside to help. He sent the Holy Spirit, a helper, called alongside to help. We should also notice Jesus' careful choice of words. You notice he says, I'm going to send you another advocate. He was the first, but I'm going to send you another one, he says. Why is this so important? In that day and age, there was another word in everybody's vocabulary that Jesus could have used, but he didn't use. He could have used a word that meant, I'm going to send you another unlike myself. But he used a word on purpose that, said, that meant he was going to send another like himself. So we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he sent another helper like himself to be a part of our life. This is important. He could have used that other word, but he chose not to. This helper is a friend. He's especially one who can help us in time of difficulty. He's a comforter in that sense, not, not just one who sympathizes, but one who can and will act in our lives. Do you need this? Do I need this? Duh. We need help. We can't live this life in ourselves, it's impossible. But Jesus Christ, the advocate, our advocate, sends another like himself that will help us live this life which is beyond our capability. That's good news. I have a friend. I haven't seen him for years. He's retired now. I'm sure he was a doctor. But while he was in his residency in the Atlanta General Hospital, there was a lady that was in labor one day And he was trying to help her, and she commenced to call upon the Lord. Now, I've got this southern accent down because my mother was born and raised in Georgia. I can talk like I'm from there, too. Her theology was a little mixed up, but she called on the Lord. Lord God, she said, come down here and help me, Lord. Please, Lord, come down here and help me now, Lord. Don't send your son, don't ever send a boy to do a man's job. Her theology was a little bit mixed up. When God sent Jesus, he didn't send a boy to do a man's job. He sent the Savior of the world. When Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, he sent one like himself. God sent one like himself. Jesus sent one like himself, the Holy Spirit. And this helper... Is our helper those who follow, those who follow him perfectly but earnestly? He's our helper. Do you realize? Oh, I know you know, I know you realize it. Why am I asking it that way? This is so very important, isn't it? This helper has attributes, by the way. You notice he's forever. I'll ask the Father, verse 16, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate like me to help you and be with you forever. Literally, to be with you into the age. That is, the future which has no end. There's no planned obsolescence here. He is substantially with us. And he, this other advocate whom Jesus sent, is the spirit of truth. You see it in verse 17. I'll send another one with you to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Can't talk about God without talking about truth. You can see that when you begin to compare the words about Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can see that God the Father is associated with truth. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now the expression here in 1417, the spirit of truth, probably means the spirit who communicates truth. What truth would he communicate? Truth about what God was doing through Christ. He'd communicate that. Truth about Christ's departure. He'd communicate that. Truth about what Christ taught. In short, truth which shows what is true about God, his person and his behavior, and what is true about life, its design and its purpose. And notice something else. This is a spirit the world cannot receive. It tells us right there in verse 17. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is incredibly important. He lives with you and shall be in you. The world doesn't have a clue as to the realities of the spirit. It lacks perception. It lacks comprehension. It enters into no personal relationship with them. And this is exemplified dramatically in scripture. And I'm going to take time to read this this morning. You can follow along if you like. You find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 14. Just listen carefully. We declare God's wisdom, Paul said, a mystery that is been hidden, and that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught, by, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with, spiritual, with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're destined, they're discerned only through the spirit. Incredible. Notice the spirit believe uh, the the spirit the believe the spirit the believer knows I lost my place the spirit the believer knows it's an experiential knowledge it's not just theoretical it's something we experience and notice this is important he abides with you verse 17 He uses a present tense verb. Let me tell you what that means. Present tense means, among other things, continuous action. This spirit continually abides with you. He's not just here one day and gone the next. There's a continuing sense of reality about the ministry of this spirit in our lives. And then he uses a future tense verb. He will be in you. He points to a future certainty. So we said this advocate whom Jesus sent has attributes. He's forever. He's the spirit of truth and he's a teacher. Look at verse 25 and 26. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear me, uh, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Wow. That's what happened to me when I believed? That's what made me so different than what I was before I asked Jesus to come into my life? Yes. That's what happened to you if you've responded to Christ. You know you're different. You don't know exactly why. I'll tell you why. The Holy Spirit who was with you is now in you. And he's no slight player in our lives. He's God too. And we can't be the same. We can't be the same. So the follower loves God. He's a lover. The follower receives a helper. But this passage is not over. The follower receives a presence. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There are three pictures of Christ's presence in this passage. First, the presence of his appearance. You see, the disciples knew that Jesus was about to depart. Look at Jump back and you got your text. Jump back to verse 2 of chapter 14. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Then look back at chapter 13, verse 33 and 36. My children... I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I'll tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow later. So even though the Holy Spirit was promised, it didn't seem as having Jesus the same as having Jesus. So catch Jesus' announcement. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you bereaved and bereft of my presence. They were about to experience helplessness. You know the story. They went through a deep valley of this with a strong sense of helplessness when Jesus was crucified, and they were still trying to figure out what in the world was going on. And Jesus said, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And very likely this reference, I will come to you, is a reference to the appearances he made after his resurrection before he ascended to be with the Father. He obviously knew the helplessness they were going to feel, and didn't they feel it? You know the story. You know, back in about 1969 or 1970, a young businessman by the name of Keith Miller was asked to speak in the Hollywood Bowl for the Easter Sunrise Service in Southern California. This was a big deal. This guy was not a clergyman. He was a businessman. And he immediately began to pour over the gospel accounts of the crucifixion of Christ. And I think he caught some of the pathos and the agony that the disciples must have been going through because he wrote a first-person message. It's so well-known in some circles that you can still buy this message. It's called Inside I Trembled. Actually, for the last... Well, I, don't, I can't remember how many Easter services I did while I was interim here uh, at, the, at the PAC. Every year I thought I was going to preach that sermon. I thought, I, I'm just going to make no bones about it. Just, this is not a sermon I wrote. It's a sermon I'm preaching that Keith Miller wrote. It was such a powerful first-person account from a disciple's point of view. But every year the Lord seemed to lead in another direction. I ended up preaching another sermon. So sometime maybe I can share that with you. It doesn't have to be the PAC. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Just listen to this. Here's one of, the, one of the disciples, the day after Christ's death, in his own words, the next day, which was Saturday, it was probably the worst day of my life. I remember where they'd come from. Just a few weeks before, they'd come into Jerusalem and there's all this praise and adoration and the palm branches and all the rest, and then the crucifixion. The next day, which was Saturday, was probably the worst day of my life. I'd never known grief like this before. At one point I felt so bad, it occurred to me that I might die. Have you ever had that feeling? I felt so miserable, so lost, All Saturday, we just kept out of sight. There wasn't anything we could do for him or for ourselves or for anybody. I found myself thinking about the future, about how I was going to try to get a job somewhere, where I might go to start all over. I just knew I had to leave Jerusalem. I felt so terrible because of what had happened. Sort of captures it, doesn't it? So... Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And did he appear? (laughs) Listen to these words. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, the Apostle Paul says, "He appeared to me. That is presence. But it's not the only sense of, of, of presence. I said there are three instances of presence mentioned in this passage. There's the presence of Christ within. Look at verse 19 and 20. "Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live." You also will live. On that day, you realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. After a little while, he starts out in verse 19, after a little while, this suggests another soon-to-come presence, the day of the Christian era. On that day, on the day of the resurrection and beyond, the followers will know this new way from within. That is presence. Then the third instance of his presence is this, the presence of Christ's return. Look at verse 28. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad I'm going to the Father. He chides him a little bit. For the Father is greater than I. He said he would go, but he said he would come again. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. That's presence. Now look at it again. Quick review. Three possibilities of his presence available to followers. One, you and I cannot experience. That was his post-resurrection appearance. Or appearances. History records it. It was experienced by our spiritual ancestry. It's not for us to experience. But there's one we do experience, and that's presence within our lives by means of the Holy Spirit. A presence he would have us experience when we yield ourselves to him and surrender ourselves to him through Jesus Christ. And in a a real sense, this whole thing of the Holy Spirit, I mean, there's been so much arguing about the Holy Spirit at times in the church. Between Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals, and they say he'll do it this way and this is the way he's going to do it. In a sense, the real issue over the Holy Spirit today is not so, no, so much how much of Him do I have, but how much of me does He have. How yielded am I? This Spirit lives within me, and it changes my life because He lives within me this way. There's another presence we'll experience. If you don't pillow your head in the grave before Jesus comes, You'll experience his presence by means of his soon return. So what do we do with all this? Look for him these days in things external to yourself. Look for him at work in your life. When you're aware of Him working in your life, perhaps He's reproving you for something you've done wrong. He's convicting you because He said when He came, He would reprove, rebuke, and correct, as well as comfort. Perhaps he's, it's a little on the negative side, and He's on your case about something. Be thankful. God, by His Spirit, is showing up in your life. And when you're hurting so bad, you can hardly stand it. You wonder how you're going to make it through the next day because something terrible has happened. And you begin to get aware of the fact that he's there. He's not left you. I'll not leave you as orphans. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is a great God we serve. It's not just an idea, he's a person. He didn't send, God didn't send just anybody, he sent Jesus, one like himself. Jesus didn't send just anybody. He sent the Spirit, one like himself. And this Spirit makes his presence known in our lives. And he changes us daily and forever. Is this good news or what? Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for John's words, Jesus' words, actually, that John recorded. We want to thank you for the realities of what we've been listening to and talking about this morning. There's not one of us that is adequate to plumb the depths as deeply as they could be plumbed about the work of the Spirit. Before, during, and after the life of Christ on earth. But we thank you for what we do know. And we pray that you help us to walk lives, walk to, to live lives that are just oh so sensitive to your spirit within us. And when we recognize the presence of the spirit, may we rejoice. We have so much to be thankful for. So much to rejoice over. And we just want you to know that we know that today. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you're not certain where you stand spiritually with God, I want you to know that the same Holy Spirit who's invaded the lives of anyone who surrendered their lives to Him will also invade your life and you'll never be the same if it would be helpful to talk to somebody about that I'm here the elders are here I just want the elders to raise your hands to stand if you will real quickly see any of these men they'll talk tell you about how to get to know Jesus or if you know another believer in this church and you know for a fact they're a believer ask them Ask them. This is not an inappropriate question. Ask them, how can I get to know Jesus like he's been talking about this morning? How can I be certain that I have the Holy Spirit within me to guide me from here throughout eternity? Ask someone. We're here to help. That's why this church was built. Just ask someone. Right now, let's sing. I want to invite you to stand. So we've seen Christ is enough.